overwhelmed at the provision of the Lord God um, for us um, at providing this opportunity um, because it's, I mean, you know, it it sometimes felt like times it wasn't going to happen. So with the Lord just providing, he always likes to alley-oop and he likes um, crunch time games. So um, thank him. And we honor him for um, the opportunity of giving us stewardship over this facility. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to deviate today from our um, series um, to kind of do just something on Mother's Day. Um, something to encourage our current mothers. Um, we have quite a you know, couple of pregnant people here. A um, couple of people trying to be pregnant. Um, Amen. Who are married? <laughs> Amen. Um, um, bless God for His provision. Um, and um, but then we all, then I, I kind of saw this as a, a unique opportunity um, for even single women who want to be married, um, because I think I think this could be a time that I don't want us to miss um, the nature of that encouragement um, for all women. And so, fellas, that doesn't mean you can check out, but, um, you know, oh, good, I'm chilling today. Um, but um, I think that um, during different times of the different messages as we um, gather together as saints, they are going to be messages that may not particularly apply to us uh, right now. Um, but some stuff is everything in the Word of God should be in your arsenal to give to people and encourage others and to disciple them. And so um, even if you're not a mama yet or maybe you think you got a gift of singleness, most of the ladies here that I've met have never proclaimed to me that gift. Um, And since you haven't proclaimed to me that gift, I'm going to assume. Then I want to also be sensitive to those who've had miscarriages, um, those those whose wombs are closed um, or who uh, intentionally had their wombs closed because of... um, difficult circumstance. I also want to be um, sensitive to people whose mothers are no longer here. And, um, and so, so I, I want to want this message to kind of be in light of that, because sometimes Mother's Day is not a very exciting day for many people. Um, some of the, many of the holidays that we um, are free uh, to enjoy is a very challenging time um, for others. And so we know that several people in here, um, their mother is no longer on planet Earth. Their mother is in glory. And so we want to be sensitive to them and, so, and show love for them. If you turn with me, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm probably just going to be a little wild today. Um, be quiet, Branch. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 let's go to First, first Samuel chapter 1. I want to talk from the subject um, of the godly mother's picture. The godly mother's picture. Over in, while you're turning there, over in First Peter... Chapter 1, I mean, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Peter does um, something interesting. He gives women a a biblical freedom to do something. Um, Peter, in um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, he begins to, uh, verses 1 through um, 4, kind of give the characteristics of a maturing Christian wife. Um, it gives the characteristics of a maturing Christian wife 
And, and what's, what's interesting is the context of First Peter is under difficult circumstances. And so these ladies are learning how to not allow difficult circumstances to help them uh, or, or give them, uh, uh, or allow them to justify not being um, a godly woman. And so he basically tells them, you're still responsible to be a godly wife and a godly or, or a godly woman in general. Now, what's interesting is verse five, he does something um, interesting. The New Testament at times will give us freedoms in how we interpret scripture. Verse five says, Peter says, and uh, uh, calls these characteristics. He says the woman of old. Now, when he says the women of old, he qualifies. He's not just talking about old school women. That's not what he's just talking about. He justify, he clarifies it by talking about Sarah's relationship with Abraham. So what he's doing is he's pointing out the fact that Christian women, New Testament women, can get their P's and Q's about womanhood, but in context here, being a wife and even motherhood from women who were in covenant with God in the law, the prophets, and the writings in the Old Testament. And so women are freed up to do character studies and to look at areas where you're struggling, areas where you need developing, areas where you need clarity, and just begin to comb through the women who responded well to God. And of course, we want to see all of those women's lives in light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at um, a woman, a, a woman um, who, um, who, who I, I believe plays a unique role. And she goes into um, a, a role that I believe is unique to many women who are a part of a strategic period of time. There were several women in the Bible, in the entire Bible, that played a unique role in God's kingdom mission. And most, and, and, and these women played a key role in relation to God's kingdom mission through a unique way, becoming a mother. And there was always some, whenever God wanted to change a, a, a generation, whenever God wanted to change the course of time, it's interesting. I, I didn't even think about it until I was working through this message is that God would come to a woman or cause a woman to have a child and her rearing or her relationship to that birth would play a unique role in changing the course of fallen society. And so you see Eve, um, after Cain and Abel, her first son was Seth. And what's interesting about Seth is the Bible says, and men begin to call upon the name of the Lord again. But it was because a mother had a child. When you see Moses and the uniqueness surrounding his birth and his mom sending him down to Pharaoh's house, the children of Israel were able to get out of bondage because God provided a woman with a child. And then we ultimately see that reality fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who overshadows all births. In the uniqueness of the Spirit of God or, or, or one of uh, God's angels, Gabriel, coming um, to Mary. And, and when, she came, when he came to Mary, revealing to her the nature of what God is going to cause to happen to her. And every time God wants to change a generation, he, he does it a lot of times through godly mothers. Godly mothers, and we're going to talk about 
what does it look like even from a New Testament standpoint for a woman, a woman to have a, a godly, a, a godly woman's a picture of a, what it looks like to be a godly mother. And I think in our society, it's so foul when it comes to understanding motherhood. And I'm going to talk about that today because I'm afraid um, that just like Paul said in Second Corinthians uh, chapter uh, uh, 11, I believe it is, he says, I'm afraid that, you, that, that many women have been tempted like Eve today and been drawn away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ because some things have eclipsed your understanding of womanhood that's impacted your ability to walk in biblical motherhood that has impaired kingdom ethics. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we got a, we got, this is the time of the judges. The time of the judges. So God um, allows a woman, it's a woman named Hannah, her husband Elkanah, during the time of Judges, post the time of Ruth, Boaz, and, 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 and that whole crew over in the book of Ruth. Now we come to 1 Samuel where God is initiating a new kingdom ethic. And, and, and he's initiating a new kingdom ethic through his, he, he's desiring to begin a, a, a partial fulfillment of the prophecy in Deuteronomy 18 um, to Moses, which is, this is a shorter fulfillment. But Jesus is the fuller fulfillment of it. But he promised Moses that consistently he will raise up a prophet like him. But what this, what the child that Hannah is going to have is going to initiate and inaugurate a brand spanking new era. And it's going to be called the time of the prophets. This time of the office of prophets was ended with my man John the Baptist um, in relation to the office of the prophet as the main mediator of the voice of God who calls God's people back to covenant. And instead of just going to, 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 to the high priest and going to the Levites and going to Judah, he didn't go to them. He, he allowed something to happen in the life of a mother. And so today, I, I just I just see so much beauty, and, and, and it is even taken up and caused me um, to, to to appreciate um, motherhood um, so so much more. And so, in God using this time to end the time of judges, He's now laying out the time where the prophets are going to be prominent. And what's interesting about the time of judges is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so there was a time period in which God's law was thrown over the shoulder. And we live in a time like that now where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Well, that's not truth to me. Well, that's truth for you. But that truth does not necessarily mean it's going to be truth everywhere. I mean, some of you all have heard Oprah Winfrey's little thing online now where she's trying to bring spiritual shepherding um, to people. Um, I, I'm ch- you've got to check the YouTube joint. How many of y'all seen that? How many? Oh, my goodness. Dang. I got to ask how many of y'all agree with it. I'm getting a little scared. <laughs> um, but, 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 but I'm seeing, I'm seeing that there's a crisis, just like it was in their time. It's a crisis in these people's time, and there was a need for God's people to take responsibility with a clarity of what it means to walk with God. And so, and so it brings me to my first point. The godly mother 
is afflicted to create in her a passion for legacy. The godly woman or mother is afflicted to create in her a passion for legacy. Look in verse 1. It says, there was a certain man of uh, Ramah, I'm going to just say Ramah, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of uh, Jeroham, and Eliehu, a son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and um, Ephrathite. Praise God for his word. (laughs) He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. I would like to see somebody around the block name their daughter Peninnah. We got Laquita, Shaquayque, Antikia, um, you know what I'm saying, Laandra, Peninnah. Anyway, and Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the, two, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, I'm going to come back to those two cats in a minute, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. What do you do with that? What do you do with a situation? Well, of course, we're going to see through this that Hannah was an extremely, extremely unique and godly woman. We don't know how old she was. We don't know whether she was young or whether she was old. The text didn't necessarily want to lay that out. But there were several times a year where the people of God would go up and they were called to go up and worship. They were the, the, the main holy days. But here in the text, it doesn't seem that my man Elkanah was only going up on those three holy days. He was going up to worship God on other unique days. But anytime you came before God on those unique days, what would happen is, is, is that all, uh, every time you come, the eldest sons have to get presented before the Lord. So can you imagine Hannah going up? Um, with uh, a Peninnah and Elkanah and a load of sons and a load of daughters that are not hers. All she got is, I love you, baby. And she's going up to the spot in Shiloh to worship it. Every time she goes, she can see all of the women, some, some women spanking their kids. Come here and get over here. And all the kids are together or the kids are a little older. And all of them are heading in. And the priests, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, interesting, we'll talk about them, um, um, uh, sacrificing, them bringing sacrifices for their firstborn, and Hannah being barren, Hannah being barren, looking around like, Lord, like, 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 I, I, I don't understand why I don't have a child. And, and what's interesting is I was struggling through this because I was wondering, I'm like, do women even struggle with this in our day and age? Like, like, are there women who Actually, I know my wife and I have talked through a lot of it, but I'm like, I wonder any because of the the, the understanding of 
feminine or women's lib, do women even struggle with this? Because you've got to understand the context. In their culture, it was deeply indigenous to womanhood to be able to have kids. And, 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 and your ability to have kids and, and your passion to have kids was a, not, was a part of the culture, but there was an expectation for every Israeli woman or every Jewish woman because somebody was going to have the Messiah, and everybody wanted to participate in Messianic lineage. And so their understanding of, of, of motherhood was connected to feeling connected to the family, creating more workers for the family, great pride for the family, raising up a name, allowing your husband's name to continue, but not only that, allowing the name of the Lord to continue. And I was like, what is, what is our assessment, even in our society? Is there any care about whether or not you have children these days, ladies? Do, do you struggle? Or is it like, shoot, I don't want no babies. I'm chilling. I'm enjoying myself. Like, is there a struggle? Not, not, just, not just a struggle in light of your, like, like, like just your, I, I want to have a child. That's, that's not I want a child so I can have a, I want a boy. I want a, I just want to, see, this is not a, I just want to. See, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about legacy. And when we talk about legacy, it's broader than what you want. I mean, in our society, we do everything that we can to not have kids. We get, we get um, a, a book of matches in our arm, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't know what the thing is. The book of matches, the, the birth control. I mean, we, and I'm, not, I'm not speaking on against or for birth control. But I feel like everything is centered around trying to strain and spend as much time as you can seeing life in personal freedom rather than God-centered freedom. And, and so I was like, how am I going to apply this? God, I'm sitting up like, like, how do I talk to the ladies about, like, stuff they may not even want anymore? Like, Mother's Day, is it, is, is it an excitement? Are pregnancies just an accident all the time? Oh, we're pregnant. Pray for us. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, Pastor, I'm struggling, man. I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, in a society that doesn't celebrate birth until the baby is seen, like, Pregnancies, oh, we didn't mean it, but, you know, we just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm like, Dag, is anybody intentionally trying to have kids? Is, it, is anybody, like, can a husband and wife come together without the frustration of whether or not, uh, uh, we, 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 uh, you know, uh, uh, can a husband and wife freely come together and enjoy the Lord and enjoy one another and enjoy the product of that? When now I know that there are issues that will cause, but I'm just saying, I, I was just struggling through this because our society is, is, is filled with inhibitions about the freedoms that God allows because of diseases, because of, I'm just, I, I'm struggling. Women waiting later in life and afraid that their kid might have Down syndrome. So I waited. I wanted to have babies, but now they said after you get 35, you can't have, you know, you, the baby might have Down syndrome. So now I don't want no kids, so I'm going to die. And I think adoption is good. But this is what I was struggling through. I'm struggling through 
is, is, is a child even a celebration like this? Is, is a woman's identity even wrapped up in the passion to participate in what it means to raise a godly seed? Is that even a preoccupation anymore with our women? Is wanting to get married just so you can have fun and cuddle watching cartoons and watching um, uh, uh, um, shows and go to get, 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 get stuff from Blockbuster and do on demand while you eat popcorn? Is that the only thing that marriage is about? Is marriage about just, just oh, my God, is, is being a wife, uh, oh, my, oh, Lord, help me. Is, is it only about just satisfying your loneliness? I know it's legitimate, but it's not Jesus-centered. And so I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And I, I'm like MC like that. I cram to understand this, fam. And, and I'm, I'm really wanting to see. I think God wants to see some godly women who are distressed about the inability to participate. To participate. And what it means to raise up a godly seed, and I'm going to chop that up. I want to spend some time talking about that. Because I believe we've lost that legacy. And I think we need to begin to think through childbirth more more theologically, more strategically, and more wisely. Now, do you need to prepare financially? Yes. Do you need to make the proper? Yes. You need to do all of those things. However, those things shouldn't merely be an inhibition to child-rearing. And so you see that, Hannah, it says, and the Lord closed her womb. Wow. What's interesting about this passage is that, you know, a lot of people, most women were thought of when the Lord closed, if they weren't able to have children, that she was under a curse. And, but the text makes sure that the Jewish ear doesn't front on Hannah. It says that the Lord sovereignly closed her womb. Anytime God sovereignly does something, he wants to set up something. See, I believe that during this time, because of her inability to, to, to conceive, that God, all of those years that she's walking back and forth up to Shiloh with the family, whether she was on a donkey or not, and, and them going up to Shiloh and seeing other women have children and seeing them mismanaging their households or enjoying their household, God was ravaging in her a passion. A passion to not just say, I just want to have a child, but that I want to have a godly seed. I remember when my wife miscarried at six months with our first child. Our child would have been, Naomi would have been eight years old. I was thinking about this while we were working on the message, while I was working on the message. And I was, I was thinking about between 2000 and 2002, what God was spiritually doing in our life in light of that miscarriage. I'm not trying to oversimplify the miscarriage, but God did something in us in light of it. You know, my wife and I began to think through and talk through fatherhood and motherhood. We began to think about the strategic, like the fact that we were like, man, what if God doesn't allow you to have, what if this is going to be every time you get pregnant, you're going to miscarry? Like we're thinking through that. And so we're like, dag, man. And so it began to ravage in us a passion for participation. We were like, well, we'll just adopt. We cool, but we soften. We like whatever way God allows us to participate, we want to participate because we want to raise a godly seed. And so, but we said, God, um, praise your name. We're going to keep on trying. And 
God blessed us with Emmanuel. When Emmanuel, uh, when, when, Manny, when Manny was born, he was in ICU for six, year, six weeks. He's a little frail thing. He was four and a half pounds. Four and a half pounds. And I remember, I remember his, his stomach being plugged up and he wasn't able to pass a movement. So they thought he was going to die. They thought he had a liver disease. So, and they had these infrared lights because he was, his skin was all yellow. He was jaundiced. And so they had these lights on him. And they, and I remember the lady uh, had to put a needle in his head on a little, and I was just, I'm just looking at this and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I remember putting my hands on Manny. And opening up to John 12 and, and asking God, I, I said, God, we lost the first one. God, please give us the opportunity to participate. My wife couldn't walk then, so she was handicapped, and so she was unable to walk. And she, and so, so I had to videotape, and I would take it to her, and she would watch Manny, and we'd sit there and watch. And she'd watch me reading to Manny while I, I, the, the scriptures and praying over Manny, and we, and we just weep together and beg God to save his life. Because God used those difficulties to shape in us a passion for legacy. Right here in this text, right here in this text, Hannah, God sovereignly closed Hannah's womb. And I believe it is clear in the text that that time period where her womb was closed was a time of developing Hannah into being passionate about more than just having a kids, having kids, but the development of a legacy. Where are you ladies in relation to your child rearing? Even if you have a kid already, are you thinking legacy already? Or do they just get on your nerves? Are you thinking, when you, are you dreaming about what it would look like if God got to your child and that child was growing in grace and knowledge of both God and men and became a global missionary to God's glory? Would you love that? Are you dreaming about that? Or are you just dreaming about what his wedding's going to be like? Legacy. Women, you have such a, a banging role. It's been slept on. I know you got uh, Halle Berry out here. You know what I'm saying? That, that just wanted to have a child. And I'm, I'm not going to dog Halle. But we, we, it, it didn't even on the block here. Like 90% of the kids are born into single parent homes. So you got mamas walking up and down the street with a couple kids behind them. Some get yo. Get the. I'll smack yo. And I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared of the legacy. I'm like, God, who's going to disciple our mothers? Who's going to focus our mothers in on the theology of legacy? See, see, I'm sick of us talking about what women can't do. We need to focus on what you can do. Now, are we saying you need to be barefoot and pregnant? No. But, but see, we don't want to utilize that idiom to make you hate child rearing. See, that's what the culture do. Give you little stuff like that. That's what the enemy likes to do. Say, like, I ain't going to be pregnant. I ain't going to be nobody's stooge. I ain't going to be, and I'm going to be a, I don't, this is the kind of woman. And, and, and all the time, the enemy's just nurturing your heart to hate legacy. Our inner cities need legacy, y'all. They need to see mommies who, we're going to get to the dads um, a few weeks, but 
but our culture needs mommies who know how to talk to their children. Our culture needs mommies who don't let kids just get away with stuff. Our culture needs mommies who are focused and who are passionate about God's glory being brought to bear on the rearing of young men. I'm not talking about making a mama's boy. I'm talking about making a glory reflector. And so when we talk about this passion for legacy, we see homegirl Hannah <coughs> was in distress and she got fronted on by Peninnah. And frustrated by Peninnah, because Peninnah was saying, you ain't got no kids, do you? Your womb closed, ain't it? And she just laughed at her and, 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 and fronted on her. And it said, and the text says that they were rivals. In verse 6, it said, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, I don't know if Hannah knew that God sovereignly closed her womb. Was it just the fall and just the impact? No, God, beyond the fall, beyond sin, said, I'm going to shut Hannah's womb down. And in light of God allowing that distress to happen, it allowed in the room and it allowed in the vicinity a lot of persecution. Now, I know this is hard to relate to. Again, it's hard to apply. Because, like, what type of, any women in our culture and any women in our society get in front of all because they can't have kids? No. So it's kind of, again, this whole, because of where our culture is, it's so kind of ironic that a text like this would even be in the Bible. But what's beautiful about it is the Bible wants to point us to the idea of legacy. But then in verse 7, it says, so it went on year by year. As often as she went, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. So she would kind of fast during those times or just wasn't hungry. And so it it, it really shows us here the level of frustration, the level of hurt, the the time period year by year by year that God was developing in Hannah a passion for legacy. Point two, the godly mother relentlessly seeks to play her role or play her part in kingdom legacy. The godly mother relentlessly seeks to play her part in kingdom legacy verse 9 <clears throat> it says after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh Hannah rose now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly and she vowed a vow and said O Lord of hosts If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Wow. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. This is powerful. I'm loving this because her frustration And her passion and what God was developing in her drove her to prayer to make a radical dedication. She became became radically dedicated to participating in legacy. And she went before the Lord in prayer. 
And so she, she, she went up there to the temple. She didn't even go inside of the tent of meeting. She went, she went, and she just was on the outside, and she began to pray, mumbling intensively. I don't know what kind of movement she was making. I don't know what kind of passion she had. I, I don't know where, where anyone else was, but she was there by herself. And my man Eli, who was a heavyset dude, sitting out on, on the stoop, chilling, hanging. And Hannah comes there and begins to pray to the Lord. She relentlessly seeking the opportunity to be a part of the legacy. And she said she was deeply distressed. In other words, her inability to participate made her deeply distressed. And so she made a vow. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 points to the idea of the vow. And it says whenever you make a vow to the Lord, be quick about keeping that vow. And so she's so, she's so, she's so stressed that she says, God, I want to participate, so I'm a vow to you. And she does a number six vow. A number six is the Nazarite vow. Now, usually, usually the person, the Nazarite himself or herself will say, I want to make a Nazarite vow. What's interesting about this vow here is that usually the Nazarite vow, she does very unusual, radical things. She makes the vow for her child. That's number one. Number two, the Nazarite vow was only supposed to be for a particular amount of time. So it usually begins and it usually ends. But she says, I'm so passionate about God's glory coming through me. I want to so participate and be a part of God's work of kingdom redemption is guess what? I'm going to give my child away. And she says, I want him to be a Nazarite set aside to the Lord all the days of his life. Look at the beauty of a dreaming mother. She was so passionate about having the child that she says, God, I don't even have to raise him. She said, God, just as long as he becomes godly, just as long as he becomes who you want him to become. And so I don't know how Samuel felt when he came out, like when he ended up growing up like, dang, man. I ain't never cut my hair, man. I got these dreadlocks. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how he felt about it because, you know, you couldn't cut your hair as a Nazarite unless you had a sin issue, then you would shave it. But for the most part, my man was committed to being a Nazarite all the days of his life because of his mom. And what's interesting is the only other person to have a, a lifetime Nazarite vow was Samson. But you'll see a drastic difference between the life of Samson and the life of my man Samuel. But where but the question I like to ask was and I think this interesting is that she wanted the Lord to see that her request transcended her own feminine desires. And I was asking the question of what are the obstacles to us participating in legacy? I'm gonna just name some things in relation to this text. Career goals. Career goals. Is it wrong for a woman to have a career? No. But I feel like in our society that children are an afterthought, not a forethought. Career goals, well, once I get to this point, okay, okay, I'm to this point now, but once I get to this point, ah, it's almost like, Children are an interruption. 
I know it's supposed to be Mother's Day. I was supposed to say something nice. <laughs> but but I, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I just, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I was struggling with this until I got to this text. Career goals. Career. That don't mean, man, that you snatch your wife out and y'all don't prepare how to bring her home. Because some of y'all just, you, 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 I mean, you got to prepare that. So why do they do that? But I think you got to think about legacy. Career goals. Not only that, materialism. Materialism. You only see your kids two hours a day. Everybody else see your kids 12 hours a day. Now, if your kid watch cartoons, they at, um, they at the um, daycare. Now, I know some people got financial issues, and you may be a single mom, and you trying to work. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking, I'm talking about those of us who are, our materialism, we got to have two cars, we got to have everything like this, and the only way we can have it is max out two incomes. But then our kids, stop that, stop, there's no training, we only get two hours, we get home at six, seven o'clock, they eat a meal maybe, or they ate, they got McDonald's on the way home, and then all of a sudden, it's time for bed once they get home, or you feel guilty, and then you let them stay up late, and oh, legacy, legacy, and our generation, we're so technological and fast-paced, and so next level with ours and so pretty and fine and sexy that we think it's not sexy and beautiful and kingdom-centered to have godly children. And it takes godly parents to, I don't care if you put them in Christian school and you think they're going to do it for you. It's not going to work. They need their parents. You don't want your child to grow up. Oh, my pops, you know, I mean, my mom, I mean, you know, she, she like everybody else. <laughs> I mean, she worked a lot. I mean, I love her, praise God for her work, but I don't really know her like that. Our children are learning. Who are they learning? Who are your daughters learning about being a mother from? Who are your daughters learning about being a woman from? I don't know where she got that dress from. I don't know where she learned all that. I don't know. Girl, she is so crazy. I don't know where she got that from. We got to begin to think about this. And I think, and I'm scared for our generation. I'm scared for us because I, I think that, I, I think that all of y'all who are working on degrees, get your degree, girl. Get it? Do, do your thing. However, make sure that you're thinking about legacy through the process. Oh, man. Think about legacy through the process. A selfish sense of freedom. I just, you just plain old flat foot like to have your time to yourself. You want to wake up when you want to wake up. You want to come and go when you want to come and go. You want to hang out like you want to hang out. I'm talking about wives or mothers. And so that, 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 that freedom you got, you scared to let that freedom go. Ah, too guilty. Uh, fear from past family issues and personal responsibility. You don't want to be responsible. I don't want to be responsible for nobody else, girl. I'm trying to be responsible for my own self. Y'all know y'all be saying that. Don't front on me now. Y'all getting quiet like crickets. Um, bad experiences. Spiritual immaturity. Mismanagement. 
and a limited view of femininity. I'm going to let 3130 deal with that one. I can unpack that one for the rest of the message. But I think we have a limited view of femininity. And I think God wants to return beautiful, glorious, godly women back on to a passion for biblical femininity. A part of your femininity. Look at Deborah, who not oh, she, I don't know if Deborah had any kids, but what's funny about Deborah in Judges is this: she, even though she wasn't able, she didn't have kids. It said she became a mother to Israel. That means that even though she didn't have any kids, she saw uh, like every woman has a motherly instinct of some type, and you have to floss it in some way, shape, or form, so that your life so impacts other women's lives. And other guys' lives that you were like a mother to them. Because God is going to want us to, you to mother the motherless in this community. I know them little snotty-nosed bad kids coming up to you while you're on your way out of your car and you get mad and all of that. But they may, they just, they may need you. They, they may need you. Because in every child, every time you look at a child walking around here, see legacy. That's what Hannah did. Hannah saw legacy. And she was so passionate about it that she went before God and begged him for an opportunity to participate. And she didn't just pray her own personal passions. She prayed the glory of God. Do you know how to pray the glory of God? Do you know how to pray the glory of Jesus? See, praying his glory means that God benefits more than you. See, see, you got to learn how to pray when it does, in, in such a way that God's glory can't refuse to answer. <laughs> I mean, I know God's our prayer life, God, all, you know, God working and, he, and he's working things that he wants to bring in existence. And our prayer is a means of grace for God releasing what he already wants to do. So prayer isn't a dictation of our will to God, but our response to his will so that means you don't, God, I declare, you got to do it. In the name of God, I just, I mean, God's sitting up giggling like a mug. That don't mean nothing. If it ain't his will, you can, you're going to lose your mind. God, I pray. But, and I, I love charismatic loud prayers, but you can whisper a prayer that's in the will of God, and it's more louder through the ear of God than a person yelling that's not speaking his will to him. And so, and so, women, I want you this week to begin praying about legacy. Real simple. I want you to begin, even if you're single, even if you can't have kids, start praying about legacy. Start getting on your knees and say, God, I know I'm lonely. If you're single, I know I'm lonely, Lord God, and I'm, but let me, let me just pray. See, you'll never know. That may have been the means of grace for God to provide you with a husband because God wanted to focus you. See, you was focused. I'm just lonely, God. I need somebody. I'm good. All I got is this pillow. And then God, God said, see, you're not ready yet. You ain't ready yet because you're just thinking about pillows and quilts and cushions. You know what I'm saying? You ain't, you ain't thinking about my glory yet. You know what I'm saying? You ain't, you ain't got no passion for the cross yet. You ain't got no passion. You ain't dying yet. God, pray this week. God, I want to participate. I'm struggling with all this feminine stuff we got in our society, Lord. But I'm, I'm passionate, God, 
and I want to be a woman of excellence. I want to be a woman who reflects your glory through how I participate in kingdom renditions of people who reflect the glory of Christ in every area of life. God going to be like, you better pray. You better pray. You desire I, I want i want a i want a pitch we want i think god wants epiphany fellowship to be where it's cool to be a godly female it's cool to get pregnant in god's time with a husband I, and and it's cool you should when you somebody when they start showing and what you find out they're pregnant you just lay you should be walking somewhere y'all may come in 31 30. god i pray for legacy right now in jesus you better, i mean it needs to be a culture of just women excited. There's a legacy. How, how are you doing with child rearing? How are you centering them on Christ? How are you like, like, like holding one another accountable to the legacy? But, but, but I, I just, what does New Testament motherhood look like? Turn with me over to an interesting passage. Turn with me, and we're going to come back here, and I'm going to shut it down. I'm not going to talk to you all forever. I told you all, uh, Pastor Deuce was right. First... Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, see, some of y'all, when y'all read this, y'all start sucking your teeth. Bible always want to put somebody in bondage. See, that's why I'm becoming a church anyway, because they always want to tell us how we're supposed to be and how we make me sick. Y'all so crazy. Verse 8. No, verse 7. It says, Likewise, also that the women would learn to adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty. That means have mercy on the fellas. Self-control. Not with braided hair. He's not saying you can't braid your hair. He's just saying don't let it merely be costly. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 3. He says merely. um, Braided hair and gold and pearls and costly attire but with a with listen don't read that and become homie first timothy 2 i'm sorry verse 9 okay don't be homie no homie the bible teaches against hominess all right i'm just saying homie no homie oh god men don't like homie all right, let's keep reading. I'm just letting you know. Some of y'all will be, be like, I'm, oh, God. Anyway, verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Oh, see, that's what I was talking about. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. over. So some of y'all just shut your whole spiritual nervous system just went, right? So you don't hear the rest of this. It says, Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Some teeth sucking. But listen to what he says. He says, yet she, singular, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Now, notice he goes from singular to plural there. She is talking about Eve. They are talking about y'all. 
Now, remember we talked about the, the, the proto-evangelion. I can't remember how the other one go. But basically the first presentation of the gospel, it says that Eve's seed will bruise the serpent's head and he would bruise her heel, or his heel. What's interesting is that Paul brings this up as an apologetic for biblical womanhood. He says they're saved. Now, he's not talking about your salvation, but he's talking about your sanctification. He says a woman will grow spiritually when she walks in her biblical role as a woman. That's all he's saying. And he says Jesus Christ has provided as the seed of Eve, the ultimate seed of Eve, Jesus has returned things back up. Eve's sin made it turn from man, woman, animal. It was a man, woman, animal. It turned from animal, women, men. Right? But now through Christ, through the cross of Jesus Christ, that turns. And so now Eve's lack of submissiveness to God's command and her husband's command, right, is returned through the cross of Christ, through the second Adam, the church being the new Eve. Oh, I don't have time. We'll deal with that later. Um, And the new Eve now is to walk in proper submission to her husband, the first Adam. And now, practically laid out in the life of godly women, you grow spiritually when you don't try to be like a dude, you try to be like godly women. But guess how it's done? Through the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ has provided. I'm going to stop here. The, the cross of Christ has provided. We, we got long. We, we, by God's grace, we had years to talk through this stuff. But through the cross of Christ has provided the ability for you to be freed up to live out a biblical legacy. And so what Paul is talking about here is he's, he's basically like, I want the women to understand their role in a beautiful way that they would think about legacy. Legacy is not merely a, a dead Old Testament principle that stopped when Messiah came, but it continues. Jesus is the consummation of true legacy personified, but then he reorders so that there's a proper legacy laid for his return. So ladies, Jesus one of the applications of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus' work on the cross is the restoration of all things. That's why when Hannah, when, listen, when Hannah, uh, uh, um, um, when he thought she was drunk, and she said, I'm not drunk, don't front on me, I'm not a chick, I'm a woman of God. And he said, my bad, go in shalom. In other words, he says, I pray that whatever you're praying about, that God would bring order to it. And in Christ, everything is reordered back to God's original design. And so now God has freed you up. We'll talk about the rest of it another time. But God has freed you as ladies up to be free to enjoy womanhood. And some of you are going to still not, you're going to struggle still. But the issue is spend your time getting in touch with your inner spiritual woman. <laughs> I'm not talking about the inner woman, you know, let's um, type joint. but Jesus, Jesus, I just, I really wanted you to walk away today. Mothers, God has given you everything you need to be a godly mother. God has given you everything you need. Ladies, walk, I want you to, don't, don't try to be like nobody else in the sense of fallenness 
only try to walk in community in relationship with those who are trying to walk in biblical femininity. And we're going to do a series on biblical masculinity and biblical femininity sometime in the future. But, but I want you to do, we just want you to just walk away. Walk away knowing that you're freed up. You're freed up. Don't fear. Stop fearing womanhood. Some of y'all need to grow up. Because you're afraid of adulthood, which is synonymous with of being afraid of femininity. And if you're going to be a true woman of God, you've got to be willing to grow up. And like we talked about last week, that means you've got to deal with past. You got to deal with, you want, listen, you want to be freed up to be all that God wants you to be. I'm going to pray. We're going to shut it down. Father, we had a lot more to say, God, but I just ended there. Lord, that you would give us the grace. Give our sisters the grace to develop a culture here where it's banging to walk with Jesus, where it's dope to be pregnant, it's dope to want to be pregnant, it's fun talking through what it means to raise godly children. May that culture develop here. May even the older sisters here who have raised kids I pray that you would give them unique relationships with our younger women here so that they may begin to teach them the principle, the things that they did well, things that they didn't do well, things that they would do differently, things that they had been doing, and allow their lives to be opened up as a model, as I know that several have begun doing it, Lord God. We know that we we thank you for Sister Val who's been doing that, God. We thank you, Lord God, for Sister Christy that's been doing that. We thank you for my wife, Branch's wife, Lord God. We we thank you for 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 Tia and others who have said, look, we want to relate to others. We thank you for Mom. We thank you for uh, everybody who's saying, look, let's reproduce what it looks like to be a biblical woman and also to be a biblical mother. It blew my mind yesterday that the, some of the mothers went yesterday and wanted to learn how to homeschool. They're talking through that together. I'm not saying the homeschool is the way to do it, God. The only way, there are multiple ways, public, private, we're, we're not endorsing anything, but it was just dope to see them talking through legacy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for legacy. And, and with uh, you blessing us with this facility, Lord God, may we never forget about legacy. The legacy of the reproduced, reproduction of glory reflectors. In Jesus' name, amen. prepare our hearts for the Lord's table if our men could come forward this portion is for Christians only born again believers in Jesus Christ Um, this is a time where we culminate our gathering by reflecting on what it took uh, to purchase our salvation it was through the blood that was shed in the body that was given of the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not a believer if you don't know that you don't know if you if you know that you don't know the Lord Jesus uh, you let this portion just pass by you um, and just reflect on what it would mean to be in a relationship with him through uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as for 
all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, you're welcome to participate at this time uh, because this is uh, the most central point of our gathering as we recognize that we have, gained, we have been given access to God the Father who's holy, uh, separate and set apart uh, because of a sufficient sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, his body that was given, his blood shed. 